0: Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Adok Group. This week I am very pleased to say we are joined by Lee Scott. Lee is an experienced football scout and opposition analyst and is lead analyst at Total Football Analysis. Today, Lee will be talking to us all about his latest book on Liverpool, King Klopp, Rebuilding the Liverpool Dynasty, which is out now on Amazon, Waterstones, Toby Smith and all good retailers. Lee's also authored Mastering the Premier League, the tactical concepts behind Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. And he's also currently writing a book all about Marcelo Bielsa, due to be released early next year. So, hello, Lee. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. i really appreciate it.
2: No, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Letchers, how are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Um, I've been really excited to get Lee on, so it's fantastic to have him here. How are you, Dry, you well?
0: Yes, I'm very good, very good, very excited for the Premier League start today, starting with with Arsenal, your team, so very interesting, but I'm sure they'll be okay, I'm sure they'll do quite well.
2: Yeah, filled with quite a lot of optimism, Um, you know, we've made a few signings, Um, I I really am a big fan of Arteta, so hopefully, you know, we are against Fulham, hopefully we uh, get get the three points, otherwise I'm in a really bad mood for the rest of today. Obviously, Lee, you've you've released this, this book, which we actually bought a copy of ourselves, or which are getting through. Uh, and one of, the, one of the questions I really wanted to know was at, specifically at Borussia Dortmund, Jürgen Klopp had this, I think they used to describe it as a very heavy metal style of football. And I kind of wanted to know how he took that style of football and brought it to Liverpool. Did it kind of change? Did he morph it? And if so, how?
1: Yeah, I think the the heavy metal style of football is directly referring to the gig impressing style and when when Jurgen Klopp first signed for Liverpool, you could not go anywhere or read any article or read any blog post or tweet that didn't reference the fact that gig impressing was coming to the Premier League. (laughs) In in Germany that was a very specific style of play and it's funny because that's something I mean, I'll get onto you to the point about the way that he's changed that Liverpool in a second, but compressing in itself is the reason that Pep Guardiola had to change his tactical system when he moved to Bayern Munich in Germany because the the tactical system that he had at Barcelona with the the short passing and the positional play and moving players by moving the ball, all of that was made more difficult in Germany because so many teams counter-pressed so aggressively, and And Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund were a, a perfect example of that. They were so aggressive, Whenever they got the ball, everything was vertical. When they didn't have the ball, everything was vertical because they pressed. Um, when he first came to the Premier League, I think that in the first season, we saw elements of that through Liverpool's press. Gradually over the years, though, and then culminating in last season, we saw a change from Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool and his game model at its very core. So no longer, they still press. I mean, make no bones about it. Liverpool are still one of the highest pressing teams in the Premier League they still counter-press the immediate transition, which means when they lose the ball close to the opposition goal, you will see the likes of Firmino, Salah, Mane all look to press Mm. immediately. But then, after that, the press becomes almost less aggressive. They drop into a a more medium defensive block if you like, and then get get organised defensively. and That's just a and nod towards Jürgen Klopp decided that he wanted Liverpool to play less in transition. I mean, transition is is essentially chaos in football. The the transition from defence to attack, everything is chaos. Everyone's after the ball, you know, trying to press to, to prevent the, the opposition from playing through you. The transition from defence to attack is the same thing, but the other way around. So you're trying to play through the opposition, so everything's quick, everything's fast. But this last season, we saw Jurgen Klopp transition to a style that was more about control. So he wanted to dominate games a little bit more. He knew that teams would sit back and defend in deeper blocks because of the attack and threat of Liverpool. And he found a way to adjust his system just enough so that they still had enough of that chaos around them, but they also had more control of the game. I think that's the biggest change that we've seen in this Liverpool side from the Bruce Dortmund side. But certainly, uh, Borussia Dortmund heavy metal football is one of the best ways to describe that Borussia Dortmund team because they were fantastic to watch, but but everything was almost out of control. And that's the way you wanted it.
2: Yeah, you make a really good point about um, the, the control elements of Liverpool. I remember watching Liverpool versus Sheffield United. Uh, this, not the one with the well, one Neldon deflected goal, the. I think it was the home victory for Liverpool where they broke the number of passes in the Premier League one Premier League game that season which I found quite interesting because I wouldn't have originally have associated that level of control and possession for a Klopp team when I used to watch Dortmunds uh, and also the early Liverpool and so it's interesting how, how you noted that level of control that you, you touched on before. Um, so, so the next question I kind of had was: so we're saying how he's adapted it to the Premier League, and you know how Liverpool have changed over over time in the last year or so, a year and a half, or even going into this season. How do you think they'll actually change even more, or do you think they're set now?
1: I think that at the moment, going into this game today, we're recording on Saturday morning, so Liverpool play Leeds in the t time kickoff. If you like, yep. um, mm. I think that. A lot of this, the last five or six weeks of Liverpool, has been centred around the speculation that they're going to sign Thiago. I think that the reason that Liverpool are so keen to sign Thiago goes beyond the fact that he's a world-class midfielder. Because he, it seems, from a technical point of view, from a ball progression point of view, he is a world-class midfielder. What a lot of people don't understand, though, is that he's also a world-class midfielder in terms of his defensive output, in terms of Mm -hmm. his ball recovery, in terms of his his ability to understand how to block passing lanes and how to press effectively to force turnovers. I think that if Liverpool were able to sign a midfield player like Thiago, then you would see a transition into a different style of the way they progress the ball, which is, I think is the next evolutionary step for, for Liverpool. Last season, the progression was mainly through the fullbacks. So we had Trent mm. Alexander-Arnold obviously coming into a more inverted position from his right back position, from where he could play those diagonal passes, or he could play those clipped balls in behind the defensive line, or even just fired at vertical through balls that that just skim across the ground at the feet of Roberto Firmino, who was invariably in mm. space. I think that the the left back the progression was different because it was more through. Robertson receiving those passes and then making runs with the ball that that broke the lines of the opposition. Beyond that, the progression from Liverpool, ball progression was was slightly less centre-orientated, if you like. So they didn't really use the midfield to progress the ball. They didn't use the likes of Fabinho, Vinalda or Henderson to progress the ball. They were more functional than anything else. I think that In order for, I mean, we we saw a couple of times last season, it's funny that you you mentioned Sheffield United. Sheffield United were one of the few teams who caused Liverpool huge problems last season because they were so effective at taking away the threat of the full-backs progressing the ball. But that's something that the defensive system of Chris Wilder was set up specifically to stop that, and Liverpool really found it difficult to break them down. I think that now, going into this season, Jurgen Klopp wanted to add an option in the midfield through which they could have a ball progressor. So if the fullbacks are taken out of the game, you still have a player in the midfield who can progress the ball. So that would be Thiago. They have Naby Keita, who I still believe it, it has the potential to become one of the best midfield players in the Premier League. Mm. The, the issue around Naby Keita obviously, is his injury record. And Jurgen Klopp's not, I don't think, convinced that he could count on him for a full season. But Keita gives you that. Keita gives you the ability to take the ball centrally and then beat a player either through a dribble. So he's very good at at driving with the ball himself in one-on-one situations and even taking out two players through a dribble or through passing the ball intelligently. We've seen that a couple of times. There was one pass in particular last season when he he played an assist to Sadio Mane. And when you saw there was a certain angle of the, the TV camera showed in the replay, and everything just seemed to slow down around him. You could see players <laughs> moving between the two of them and Navigator just timed the pass perfectly. I think he does give you that option, but because he's not going to be available that much, he, he, perhaps not as good defensively as um, Bernardo, for example, he might not be used that much. So as things stand at the moment, I expect to see almost the same game model that we saw last season, but that could all change depending on activating the transfer market.
0: Do you think that will alter Bobby Firmino's role?
1: Potentially. I mean, the the role of Bobby Firmino is so so unique in world football. It's really difficult. I I did a, a project uh, for for a client last season when we were essentially trying to identify players who had a similar skill set to Bobby Firmino. It's extremely difficult to find a number nine who plays the same way that he did. I mean, when he was at Hoffenheim, he was a 10. He was a player who played in that 10 position naturally and got up to support the striker. He made very good delayed runs in the penalty area. He invariably found himself in space. He scored a lot of goals that way. When he first signed for Liverpool, um, obviously there's all the talk about the fact that that the manager at the time didn't like him and didn't want him. Brendan Rodgers prepared to play him on the left-hand side of the attack. He didn't see the value of having Firmino as the nine, but his his role for Liverpool is so unique because mm. of the the runs that he makes from the nine position back towards the midfield are what creates the space where Firmino and Salah to attack from the outside centrally. So they essentially become a one-two, if you like. So. If you think about it, on a pitch, you have Firmino in the nine position. Because of the movements of those two wide forwards, they almost become two nines because they, they play so centrally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I
1: think that the the ability of a player like, well, what's great about Naby Keita for me is how he can interlink with that player. You see yeah. him make play good passes at good angles into Firmino, for example, but then he makes the next run. So he makes the pass the Firmino, then Keita continues to run in the space and Firmino has the quality to be able to find him that presents real opportunities for Liverpool in terms of creating central overloads. So all of a sudden, you have a pass being played at Firmino, you have Salah and Mari coming in behind them, and you have Naby Keita moving into that same central area from deep. You can imagine that the difficulties that causes for any defensive block, and that's the key for Liverpool. Mm. They still need, even against these teams that sit deep in defensive blocks, they still need to find those pockets of space that Firmino and Keita and Man and, and Salah can occupy because that's how they, they build up at the final third, if you like, and from there, it all becomes about individual qualities. We, we talk about tactical systems and runs and overloads and isolation and all these different tactical terms, but essentially when the ball comes to that zone outside the penalty area, it all becomes about whether you have the individual quality to, finally break down the opposition, whether that's the final ball, whether that's beating the last defender, whether that's getting a shot away at a good angle. And that's something that Liverpool have because obviously they're a world-class team. Mm. So I think that the the ability of a midfield player to progress the ball just adds an extra layer, if you like, to the Liverpool attack, as opposed to fundamentally changing anything they do at the
0: moment. Yeah, absolutely. We we touched on um, Sheffield United earlier and how they kind of faltered thought all of the, the, the full-backs of Liverpool, the win-backs. We also kind of saw that with Napoli in the Champions League. So, my next question would be, how well, it was, it was going to be? How do you stop this Liverpool side? But is there a Premier League side who are really well-equipped or, in the last say, season or so, have uh, stopped Liverpool very effectively? I
1: think the, I mean, the, the obvious one is, is obviously Sheffield, right, who we've already talked about. But to move on from that a little bit, you, you referenced Napoli in their performance in the Champions League, Mm. particularly the first Champions League group stage match last season when Napoli played almost a 4-2-4 system. Um, Mm. They they realised that if you take the full-backs away in terms of ball progression from Liverpool, so they they had their two wide midfielders, if you like, almost man mark the the Liverpool full-backs out of possession. So Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson couldn't get clean ball progression because they they were so well-marked. The default for Liverpool beyond that because we've already talked about the fact that the midfield is so functional is to use Virgil van Dijk and either Joe Gomez or Joel Matip to progress the ball from the centre-back position. But Napoli pressed their forwards up so that they were man-marking those players. And Liverpool really struggled to to affect anything in the attacking phase because Napoli was so effective at taking away their progression options. I think that Obviously, we we could draw a direct parallel to the fact that that Napoli side was coached by Carlo Ancelotti, who's mm. now coaching Everton. So it'll be really interesting to see the, the first Merseyside Derby this season to see if he tries to do something similar to take away that threat from from Liverpool from the pullbacks backs and from the likes of Virgil van Dijk. But you could go slightly further. I mean, there are there are so many tactical systems within the Premier League now. It's almost a melting pot, if you like, of all these different coaches and different ideas and different philosophies. I don't think that Liverpool will enjoy playing against Southampton this season because Ralph Hasenhüttl is, is going to press so aggressively and that'll be that Liverpool will, will struggle initially to play through. Yes, there'll be opportunities in the final third. They'll have opportunities where they can get the ball to Salah or Mane one-on-one and make something happen. But that first ball progression won't be as clean as Liverpool want it to be. And then you have the likes of Burnley, who are always difficult to break down, but Sean Dyche will have his team set up in such a way that they will look to be so compact that they'll deny space for Liverpool. So it's that space that we talked about in the last question about where Firmino drops in a pocket space to pick up the ball. Against Burnley, that's very difficult because they're so well organised and so well drilled that that pocket space isn't always there. Hmm. You have to always attack down the outsides more. And that's not something that comes naturally to Liverpool because obviously their main threats all move inside the central areas to try and overload there. So there are a number of different sides I think who, and that's not even touching upon the the obvious one, which is of course Manchester City, who will be difficult for Liverpool to play against. But I think that it's always hard because when you're the champion, when you're the champions, you always come up against teams who are more specifically set up, if you like to to counter your strengths as opposed to trying to play to their strengths so it might be a somewhat different season this year for Liverpool
2: You know this is really really interesting I was hoping um, you were going to mention Arsenal causing Liverpool um, loads of (laughs) of problems I don't
1: think anyone's going to like playing against Arsenal this season to be honest I think Arteta is is very very smart Um, you already saw in the the Community Shield match how they they sat that such a deep compact defensive block but then because they're so well coached and how they progress the ball from the back, that the whole playing out from the back thing that, that Arsenal got a lot of stick for under Unai Emery. You can see the difference between that and what they do now under Arteta in terms of the angles of the passes, the sharpness of the passes, the positions the players take up to receive, And it becomes so effective because they're able to play through teams so much better. And then as soon as you, they play in the deep block with, in order to get the opposition to come on to them. And then they're able to play through them because they play out the back so well and then release the likes of Aubameyang behind it. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how they set up against Woolham today because I don't think they'll be able to be that deep. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching our team this season.
2: Yeah, same here. It'll, it'll be a really interesting encounter. Another question I wanted to ask you is uh, I had a discussion with my friends, so I have a few um, Liverpool fans as mates and to them Henderson is in their eyes. It was a discussion around the PFA Player of the Year award which went to Kevin De Bruyne and they felt that Henderson uh, was a worthy winner which which depending on who you are, you know, it's up to you. But the question I kind of had was they see Henderson as irreplaceable not just in the Liverpool team but in any setup in the Premier League. And that was a discussion is but we've kind of felt that Henderson is really, really functional with this Liverpool team in terms of his role, and I wanted to ask you how key he is to their current setup.
1: Henderson's really interesting when you think about. It, I mean, in football, it's natural for us all to have the, this almost sense of confirmation bias around football players. We we watch football over the years, and automatically you will you will evaluate and you will assign players in your own head. So. For a long time at Liverpool, Jordan Henderson played as a six at the base of the field. And people rightly so, in my opinion, said that he wasn't good as a six. He played there for England as well. He doesn't progress the ball well through his passing, which is what a six should be able to do. So there was a lot of talk at the time about how he was always safe with the ball, always sideways, always backwards, never never looking to move the ball towards the opposition goal, but should be the overall aim of any team's tactical structure to get the ball towards the opposition goal to try and score a goal. I think that this last season we really saw Henderson back being able to do what he does best because when he first signed for Liverpool, when he came from Sunderland, he was a box to box midfielder. He was a player who who took advantage of his limitless energy if you like and he was always up around the opposition penalty area, he was always back defending around his own penalty area he he seemed to be all over the pitch and that's something that a lot of fans look at and they see they see effort and aggression and the ability to always be around the ball and they associate that with a good player I think that what Jordan Henderson gives this Liverpool side is is that that balance that we talked about earlier on, so Liverpool moved from the, the chaos of and pressing and transition football into a more controlling style but it's such a fine line they're not purely controlling they still have elements of chaos and it's that chaos that Jordan Henderson thrives in so he really really thrives in in transition if you think about when the opposition lose the ball I, I talked earlier on about the fact that they still counter press the first instance and Jordan Henderson is often the midfield player who goes and does that because he can't help himself. He just (laughs) loves pressing the ball. So he'll go up, he'll press the ball and try and win the ball back. If the ball gets played over the top, Jordan Henderson has the energy to move back. But he's also very, very selfless for his team. We also talked earlier on about the fact that the role of Trent Alexander-Arnold has changed this last season. He was now coming inside more. and From there, he could affect the game with his passing ability. In order for Trent Alexander-Arnold to move, make that movement from right back into the, the half space in the inverted right back position, there had to be space made. And that means that Jordan Henderson almost sacrifices himself and moves from that position that he, that's the same position that he would be in where Trent moves into. Jordan Henderson has been the player who then flips outside to the right wing, if you like, and he provides a width for Liverpool. And it's all about... The his role for Liverpool almost makes everything else that they do from a possession point of view work because he's willing to take the hit and move into areas that he wouldn't normally. I think that's what a lot of Liverpool fans this last season have really seen. It's something that stood out to me while I was researching the book that he was incredibly important without perhaps ever showing up when you look at the data. I spend a lot of time in my day job looking at data around football um, and it's very difficult to quantify exactly what Jordan Henderson does through a data lens, but if you watch the game and you watch his contributions, you can see just how important he is. I would still argue that Liverpool fans perhaps overstate his importance, especially in a, a wider Premier League context. I, I don't think there are many people who would, for example, swap him in any starting eleven for Kevin De Bruyne. I, I think that if you did, you perhaps view the game slightly wrong <laughs> in my, just, just a bit <laughs> but, but you can absolutely see how a midfield that had Kevin De Bruyne and Jordan Henderson in it would be very very successful, I think it's more not about directly swapping one player for the other but how they could work because they, they have completely different player profiles, Kevin De Bruyne is obviously a progressive passer whereas Jordan Henderson is the, the anarchist in the midfield if you like, maybe that's a good way to describe him, he's an absolute anarchist Tactical restrictions don't really work for Jordan Henderson. and We saw that when he played as a six, he wasn't himself. But when he's given freedom to move around the pitch and do what he does best in an anarchic style, suddenly you see him become the player that he is And as the Liverpool captain. There's no doubt that he's a key, key player in this Liverpool side.
0: Well, what's interesting, when he was at Sunderland, he actually came through as a right midfield player as a very young, a very, very young slender man. Um, then he was moved centrally. Um, alongside Bolo Zenden and then when he eventually went to Liverpool, from, so I think it was just shy of 20 million, there was a lot of people shaking their heads yeah. at Sunderland I'm a, a Sunderland fan and probably across the country, I think it was Dal that signed him um, and there's a lot of question marks and you do wonder where he'd be today in the absence of Klopp um, because as you rightly say, his, his role has now become very specific to watching the transition phases
1: I think he nearly left I think he nearly left Liverpool prior to Klopp coming in There was a lot of talk. I can't remember. Was it Fulham that nearly signed him? Um, He was certainly going to be allowed to go, and I believe that he was going to be allowed to leave for around the 20 million Mm. mark. So, obviously, Liverpool were, at that point, happy to cut their losses, if you like. Then, all of a sudden, he becomes the player that he always showed the ability to be. I mean, I remember him playing for Sunderland. Uh, I remember his performances that season before he signed Mm. for Liverpool, and he was fantastic. You, You could see why top clubs were looking at him, because, yes, he's got the homegrown aspect clubs want to sign young English talent because it benefits them in the, ro- the long run so that always gives you a boost in terms of how clubs view you if you like in the Premier League but he just seemed to have something different that a lot of midfielders had there was a lot of equations that the time to, to Frank Lampard because he had that ability to arrive in the penalty mm. and that's something that, that teams crave it's, it's really interesting to see how it's almost a slide-of-doors moment, isn't it? If Jurgen Klopp doesn't come in when he comes in, then where is Jordan Henderson now? Is he at Liverpool? Probably not.
0: Yeah, and I think coaches relish a raw talent, and he was very much a raw talent when he was at Sunderland. He had yeah. the energy, as you said, he had the fight, and he did have the technical ability, but he very much was a product to then take and mould in the shape of your team, and that's what Klopp seemingly is doing. Um, and I, I mean, I'm just hoping that he retires in three, four years' time and comes over, comes back to manage Sunderland. Uh, I imagine <laughs> we could do with a big name. Um, but, but moving on to kind of um, what is next for Liverpool, we've touched on tactically, um, and I mean this kind of feeds in, but in terms of this window, do you expect Liverpool to strengthen? We've talked about Thiago, we've, they've brought in um, Simikas from Olympiakos, Um but from a squad point of view, um, it's potentially still quite thin in certain areas.
1: I think so. I think they. I mean, obviously the sign of Simikas was very, very important because they needed somebody to cover for Andy Robertson left back. Now, as somebody who's Scottish, I, I want Andy Robertson to play every game and never get injured, but unfortunately that's not something that's likely to happen. So so signing a left-back and not having to rely on, on James Milner to keep going and going and going and going at left-back's back cover was something that was really important. I think beyond that, the, there's an argument to be made for the fact that there's still light. centre of midfield is one, but mm. Curtis Jones has shown huge promise. Um, We don't know enough about him yet to talk about his player ID and which role that he'll take up in the Liverpool midfield because, to me, he looks like a more offensive midfielder than than somebody who perhaps is functional. He looks like somebody who likes to be around the final third to make those passes, which is an interesting option to have. You you talk about cover for the wide forwards because, obviously, Shaqiri's never really impressed Origi is still perhaps living on those goals that that led Liverpool towards the (laughs) Champions League a little bit. (laughs) Liverpool fans won't like that, potentially, but his performances last season, I think, were were relatively poor. Whenever he was given a chance, he he never seemed to do well. There's talk now about Roy Brewster perhaps going out and leaving Liverpool, Mm -hmm. even on a permanent transfer, with a buyback clause. I've heard talk about that, because... He's a pure finisher type, if you like. He's a Robbie Fowler in the, the Liverpool attack. and That doesn't necessarily fit the way they play. I mean, we talk about squad building and we talk about how you create a squad to to play a specific tactical style. It's very, very difficult to replicate what Liverpool do if you take Roberto Firmino out of the ninth position. Mm. We saw that last season. Early in the season, Firmino wasn't available. Sadio Mane played as the nine. Immediately you're changing the makeup of that team because where Firmino likes to come deep to link play, Mani likes to make runs in behind, so you don't have the same progression abilities and you have a striker who's looking to make completely different runs and it changes the dynamic of the whole team. I think that you take something away from Sadio Mani when you have him starting his runs from a more advanced position as opposed to starting his runs deeper when he's able to time it to break through the defensive line to get onto the ball that's played behind the defensive line. I think it becomes difficult for Liverpool at the moment to recruit that nine position, and that's something I think they are still looking at. Um, I always thought that Sebastian Haller, who signed for West Ham last season, Mm. was possibly one of the closest things I've seen to Firmino. He didn't quite come off at West Ham, but I think that's more of a a fact that nobody comes off at West Ham, so it could be a a difficult one. I think that in terms of what they're going to try and do, I think that there will be time for the likes of Harvey Elliott to play as one of the, the wide strikers at times. They they have young players coming through the defensive line. They like Nico Williams, he's looked excellent mm. as a, a potential right-back replacement. And if he plays right-back and there's a problem in midfield does Trent Alexander-Arnold finally make that transition that some people think he's going to into the midfield? And again, that changes the dynamic. So I think that Liverpool are one of the smartest clubs in, in world football at the moment in terms of their squad building and their recruitment. They've already shown this window that they're not going to be pulled into financial battles, if you like, in terms of chasing targets. But when the price went up on Timo Werner and the fact that they, they couldn't guarantee Timo Werner that he would start ahead of that front three, they pulled out despite their fans' consternation. There's been talk that they, they obviously went in for Jamal Lewis uh, the Norwich player who's just signed for for Newcastle United the left back. He would have been a fantastic addition for Liverpool, but because the price wasn't right, they pulled out and signed Simicus instead. They obviously have a system through which they place valuations of players. and They're not willing to go above the upper limit of that valuation. And I understand how the, the, the fans and Onlookers are are unhappy about this because there's so much furor around the transfer window and about teams having to, it's almost an arms race. You have to go out and spend and and sign the next player, the next player, the next player. Sometimes, especially with football as it is just now, in this this post-COVID, it's not really post-COVID because COVID is still very much a factor, but this COVID landscape is different, it's harder, it's not... Liverpool can't, don't want to just go out and spend because the whole thing that FSG had when they took over Liverpool is that they wanted it to become this self-sustaining organism. And it is that their wage bill is extremely high, but that's paid for through prize money and through place in, in the Champions League and the, the league table and everything else. And money is there for transfers, but it has to be the right deal, which is why I think that there's still noise about Thiago. I think Thiago makes sense. Thiago is the one, despite the fact that he's maybe slightly older than a Liverpool side would potentially be otherwise. He's the one who might come in. Otherwise, I think that they'll go for the same squad and just try to use youth players, if you like, to fill any gaps.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that you touched on um, Timo Werner. Um, uh, He's one of the players, you know, is linked heavily and I know he's he's since moved to Chelsea. How do you think he would have fitted into Klopp's system?
1: Almost perfectly. Um, Mm. I think that... He's obviously a completely different profile. We just spent time talking about the profile, how difficult it is to, to find an extra better for me. I think that Timo Werner, when Timo Werner first came through at Stuttgart, he was a left-winger. Mm. A very, very good and promising left-winger before he moved to Leipzig because they'd play more of a, a 4-4-2, if you like, not very loose four four two 4 2 but a he became a, a striker almost by default because of his ability to make those runs out to the left-hand side, almost in the same way that Thierry Henry, used to, Thierry Henry used to do to to move out, to pick up the ball on the left and then cut inside. I think that I think Timo Werner would have been an option as any of the two wide forwards because of their specific role for Liverpool and that they they start outside and come inside. He would have done that very well as opposed to being the nine specifically. Um I think he'll do very, very well at Chelsea. I don't know exactly how they're going to play this season, whether they're going to try and fit Abraham and, and Werner together because Werner can obviously play as one of the two. He did this whole time at Leipzig. Mm. Um, He's in my fantasy football team, so obviously <laughs> I think he's going to do quite well. <laughs> so um, I think he would have been excellent under Klopp because he, he's coming from a team when you, you talk about Heavy metal football, and and pressing, and pressing aggressive football. He's coming from a team at, at RB Leipzig. He's part of that Red Bull group, and their entire playing philosophy is built around that that ganging, pressing, heavy metal football. That's why I think you're seeing Liverpool go to these clubs to recruit from. That they obviously took Naby Keita, who started at who initially European football. He played for a French second division team, three. And then he moved to RB Salzburg. Then he used the pathway to move to RB Leipzig. And he lit up the Bundesliga and Liverpool went and got him. This last year in January, they went and got Takumi Minamino, who I think could well be a fantastic signing for them this season. I think we're really going to see the next evolution from Minamino. And everybody was impressed with what they'd seen from Minamino in the Champions League group stages. Liverpool went out and activated a release clause that got him at an absolute bargain. And he's one that I perhaps didn't touch upon in the last answer because he's a player who I think will also play as one of the wide strikers. He will play as the nine at times because he has that same, not doesn't do it as well at the moment, but he has that same ability to drop off the line to link play that Firmino has. So there are interesting options. And I think that with the likes of Timo Werner and other players within that that Red Bull network, if you like, Liverpool have obviously identified something using their analysis and the data that they use and the algorithms that they use, that these players have a specific player ID that's coached into them that fits the way that Jurgen Klopp plays. I think that's why it's very, very likely that we'll see them turn to that, that network time and time again to recruit players, but then don't be surprised if they do it in the future to recruit coaches when Jurgen Klopp eventually leaves.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned Timo Werner um, in your fantasy because I took him out this morning and uh, I think <laughs> I'm going to miss the deadline. So I'll be, I'll be quite um, stressed uh, about, about that one. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it's interesting that you mentioned how, how well he would have fitted in and um, Liverpool's other options. In general, I think it's uh, really interesting about the arms race that you mentioned, you know, Liverpool are champions. And uh, it's one of those things that when you're champions, you worry when everyone else strengthens around you that you yeah. must sign, yeah. you, must, you must improve, you must get rid of this guy uh, because he's not um, performing or whatever, etc. And the, the follow-up question I had is, do you, you think yeah. Liverpool will still, you mentioned the options of Minamino, do you think they'll still look for someone wide as well? Or is that dependent on you know Shaqiri, as you mentioned, who's disappointing before? And you mentioned the young players that are coming through.
1: I think in terms of wide options, they, they're probably okay as things stand at the moment in terms of the recruitment for the first team just now. I think that, as we said, Minimino will play there, Shakiri can play there, or said that I didn't, wasn't impressed by him last season, but he will play from the left side occasionally. And Harvey Elliott is the great hope. He's a player who, I think there were reports after his first training session with the first team that the players were going up to the coaching staff and asking who the hell this kid was. who Who disappeared, and it wasn't his technical ability. I think that if you're a 16 year old, 17 year old, and you reach the point where you're allowed to train with the first team of a Premier League team, your technical ability will be on point. What they were really impressed with with Harvey Elliott was his physicality. He's very slight, he's not very tall, but he, he wasn't being pushed off the ball easily. And he wasn't somebody who they found it easy to hold off when they were in possession because he, he understood how to press and how to engage and how to how to use his body, if you like, to get around the ball. And that's something that, that really came out in initial reports about Harvey Elliott, the coach and staff, and the players love him. I think that we'll see him get more exposure in first-team football. I think that the, the wide forward positions are more something that Liverpool need to start looking at in terms of succession planning because now we're getting to the point where I think that if COVID wasn't a factor, we would have spent the entire pre-season hearing reports about Real Madrid and Barcelona in talks to try to sign Salah and Mane. Those are the two players, that I think, that the Spanish giants, if you like, because every year they try to poach the next big thing, apart from this year, because of the financial situation the Spanish clubs are in. I think that we would have spent the whole season hearing about how they're trying to sign these players and players invariably become unsettled because there's talks ongoing negotiations. I think Liverpool are at a point now where they have to be succession planning. So they have to be planning for the invariable moment when, when that, those players do leave, whether that's through natural regression, which takes them below the level at which they, they need their first choice players in that position to perform or whether that's through them moving on to another club, because it will happen in football. Eventually, they will either regress, retire, or move. And Liverpool are already, I believe, that, as I've already said, they're one of the smartest clubs in terms of recruiting and squad building in world football. Make no doubts about it, they're already planning for that to happen. And that's something that, that happens more in the background, if you like, whereas they're not recruiting immediately for the first team just now, but instead they're building their shortlist and their reports and they're doing their due diligence to make sure that they have options to come in. So they will know about players out there that they like for those positions. They just won't be looking to pull the trigger yet.
0: Hmm. And I mean, Edwards has been um, famed for the, the work he's done um, around the analytics and bringing in a lot of these players. Um, you touched on players, I think you touched on I think with Firmino when he came in, it wasn't popular with the manager at the time, but that's obviously down yeah. to the, the due diligence done by people like Edwards and the recruitment team. And we've touched a lot on the youth players here. Um, I also know that Lovren Lovren left in the window to Zenit in Petersburg, and they also had a, quite a few players out on loan. So you had Wilson out on loan, Rian Brewster was out on loan. the Second half of the season, there is quite a pool of these young players. And we've touched on Jones and Elliott, there's all, and Williams. There's also Sepp van der Berg. And the if you take away the defenders, or if you take away the defensive side of Liverpool and the goalkeeper. The average age going upwards in the midfield and the attack you know, is creeping up quite a lot. Do you think we're going to start seeing a succession plan? I mean, you touched on, touched on it a, a fair bit, but do you think we're going to start seeing these players actually get better embedded into the team, which is a gamble, or start signing at a lower kind of age bracket?
1: I think it's going to be a mix of both. I think that this season, again, because we're in the COVID situation, I think this season we're likely to see the average age of the squad brought down by by these players who, who have come back to the club. I mean, I think that some of them will be moved on. I don't believe that Grunich will play for Liverpool. I think that he'll be moved back to the Bundesliga and Mm. they'll look to make a profit. But the problem they have is that if the financial situation around European football wasn't as it is now, they would probably be able to drive a price of around €30 million for a player like Grunic, which would have been good business considering what they signed him for. And the fact that he, I think he's maybe played a handful of times for Liverpool's first team, but he spent the last two seasons on loan at Hertha Berlin. Um, I think that they're perhaps holding on to him a little bit to see if need drives the price up towards the end of the transfer window, which always tends to happen. You see, mm. if you inquire about a player at the start of the transfer window, you're quoted one price If the same club. Then the club will then say, no, I'm not paying that because that's too high. But the same club will then come back and be willing to pay that towards the end of the transfer window because all of a sudden they're feeling the pressure. And the pressures driven by fandom and by social media and by by people believing that this club needs to go out and sign a player in this position. So I think that they'll, they'll potentially move on as the, the season comes closer. I think you can see the same with Harry Wilson. He's a player who Jurgen Klopp has talked about. We, we've heard him talk about him and talk about his very specific ability, which is his ability to score from range. I don't think he has the technical ability to play as one of the wide forwards for this Liverpool side apart from that. Um, I think that's where he, he kind of falls down a little mm. bit. It was the same with Ryan Kent, who, who moved on to Rangers and has been fantastic at Rangers and is now linked heavily to Leeds United. So that shows that there is a player there, but these players sometimes need to step away from the super clubs so, to develop a lot more somewhere else. And I think that if Harry Wilson, if the price in the market was there for Harry Wilson at the moment, I think he would move. I still think he'll move, but not before the start of the, the, the transfer window, if you like. There are others that, that will come in and be around the squad. Van Berg is one. Um, still very raw defensively, but a promising talent. Same as Hoover, the, the Dutch right back or centre-back that they have, who's very raw, but has talent. He won't spend time around the first team. And the same goes with the likes of Elliott and all these different players who, who will come in and take that average age down. I think going forward, as we've talked about succession plans already, I think that the signings that Liverpool make, apart from Thiago, who's a, a very specific signing, a very specific profile to fill a specific role. I think over the next two or three seasons, we'll see Liverpool signing players take that average age back down again because they're very intelligent and that's what smart clubs do. Mm.
2: You yeah, make a really, really good point there. Um, and I think we're kind of coming to the point where we've spoken about Liverpool, their strengths and weaknesses, how well they are, the succession plan, their key players, you know, Henderson's role. How well do we think or do you think Liverpool will actually do this season? Can they retain their crown? Will Chelsea spending, shoot them up the league? Will City come back roaring and will Liverpool fall a bit to the side? Or will they dominate as they have done in the past, you know, especially last year? But, you know, the past two or three years they have been really, really strong.
1: Yeah, I think that this season it's going to be Man City 1, Liverpool 2. Um, I I think that there's something in, in these elite coaches that it's the same thing that runs in Jürgen Klopp as runs in Pep Guardiola. They're not driven by success, they're driven by failure. And it's not failure in the sense that they've failed as coaches, but they hold themselves to such high standards that Pep Guardiola will have came out of last season, obviously, There was a lot of talk last season, and it's true. The underlying statistics, when you look at XG, you look at expected points, you look at XG against, you look at shot numbers, you look at shot locations, Manchester City were the dominant side in the Premier League last season when you viewed the league through a lens of of underlying advanced statistics. Of course, that doesn't matter, because what matters is what happens in the pitch. Liverpool were ruthlessly effective, and that's what saw them dominate, the amount of games that they won by one goal when they weren't playing well, was ridiculous. And that's why they did so well. I think that Pep Guardiola is going to weigh over this last couple of months and make no doubts about it. Manchester United are going to come flying out of the, Manchester City, sorry, come flying out of the blocks and they will be blowing teams away again in a similar way that we saw two seasons ago when they obviously just picked Liverpool to the title via that Vincent company, 35-yard <laughs> goal that he would never score again <laughs> in his career, no matter how many times he tried. I think that Liverpool will still be effective. They're still a strong, strong, incredibly strong squad and a strong group of players. And it's not a case of success lowering them down. It's more a case of Manchester City coming back to a point where we'd expect them to be when they underperformed quite a lot last season. I think beyond that top two, it then becomes really interesting in the Premier League because... Manchester United finished third last season. Um, they relied so heavily on a certain core of players, and it's likely they're going to be doing so again this season. If any of those players, if Bruno Fernandez goes down with a long-term injury, Manchester United's chances, if you like, and ability to win games regresses tremendously because he's so important with for them towards the end of the season post lockdown. Then you have the likes of Arsenal, who I believe are going to come back under Arteta and be extremely effective this season. They they've recruited extremely well. I really like the signing of players like William, um, who's come in. And from a cultural point of view, when talk squad building, he is such a good fit because he's a born winner. He's a competitor, and he's a player who will raise the levels of that Arsenal team to the next stage. And then obviously Chelsea with their spending. Nobody knows. How the hell Frank Lampard is going to fit these players into a coherent team? How how do you find a way to play Kai Havertz and Hakim Ziyech in, in the same team? Nobody knows. It's going to be fascinating to see exactly what he does from a, a squad perspective to keep all these players happy having spent all this money. I believe they'll get top four, but I don't think they'll be challenging for the title this year.
0: Lee, you've, you've, I'm starting to sweat about my fantasy football team now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah I mean I completely agree with Chelsea and I think I've also had this kind of um, particularly with my fancy team to think that anyone who signs in the, in the last week or so probably won't start if they've not been in pre-season for that team yeah. that's been my thinking with Havertz yeah. and not Zayech, but he's just had some injury troubles Um, to keep them out of my team Um, but yeah I think my, my next question was going to say it, w- will Chelsea pose a threat to that City Liverpool Um, seemingly not then and I think you're right about Manchester United as well. Could, could we just see another two, pro, another another kind of City Liverpool dominance this season? I think it could be, it could be correct. And we haven't talked about Tottenham Hotspur, yeah. um, interestingly as well. And Mourinho. Uh,
1: I, I don't know if you guys have been watching the All or Nothing documentary on, on Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> it's been, it's been enlightening. <laughs> um, I don't get me all. I mean, what what we're seeing. I saw somebody talk about it on social media. They were criticising Mourinho for his team talks, which are all about passion and aggression, there's no tactical talks. We're just not being shown the tactical aspects of what he does. You see the screen behind him, they have um in-possession, out-of-possession analysis on the screen, so th- those videos are being shown and talked about. I think that Tottenham are going to really, really struggle this season to to find any, any coherent ability to, to attack that top four properly. I think that the it's just such a strange circumstance to have Mourinho with this Tottenham Hotspur team. The way that um, one of my favourite players in European football over the last few seasons has been Tanguy Ndombele, who when he was at Lyon, he was fantastic. He was the he was the midfielder that Liverpool should sign now in order to provide that ball progression in the centre. He's he's the player who would be that Thiago alternative for Liverpool if he was still at Lyon, but he just seemed to clash with Mourinho and. Mourinho's treatment of him is just—it's just bizarre to me from a, a modern perspective. When you talk about how coaches interact with their with their players, it's—it just seems to be mm. something that's almost so counterintuitive in the way that you would get your best out of your players. If you like, we obviously saw the same with Mourinho at, at Manchester United. I think that there are there are some other teams that are going to be really interesting to watch the season. Everybody's fascinated to watch. Marcelo Bielsa elite. at Leeds. Um, everybody's going to want to know if his specific brand of football can work in the Premier League. I happen to think that it can. Leeds will be a top-half team this season, and they build on that going forward. Southampton and the Raph are going to be fascinating to watch because there, there's no other coach in the Premier League who is so all-out aggressive in terms of the way he wants his teams to play with and without the ball, as Hasenhutl is they'll be another club who I'm really looking forward to watching this season. And then you obviously have the likes of Chris Wilder, Sheffield United, who are extremely difficult to beat and who have recruited well and done well in the transfer market and seem to be building a really interesting project. So all in all, I think there's a number of really interesting teams that are going to be on show in the Premier League this coming season. There aren't going to be many easy
0: games, that's for sure. Mm, Absolutely. You touched on Bielsa. Um, I believe you've got a a book coming out uh, just finally, um, on Bielsa so do you, do you want to just quickly tell us a little bit about that and um, what your thoughts are on Leeds this season
1: Yeah, I've got a book coming out, it'll be released um, January or February next year, the release date's not been firm yet um, uh, 13 Steps to the Premier League is, is basically talking about the tactical structures that Marcelo Bielsa has used at Leeds to, to get his team to play this brand of football that's so enamoured so many people, I think that the, the research that I've done so far into the book manuscript's not all written yet has been enlightening for me because I didn't realize just how much detail goes into Beals's teams. You hear about it all the time, and obviously, I'm something—I'm someone who makes a living from the tactical side of the game, so it's something that I should know would be interested in. But there are so many different nuances to the way that they play in terms of just how they—they they move to receive the ball and to progress the ball through the thirds. It's such a an intricate style of play, if you like, and it's going to be really interesting to see that translated to the Premier League. I think that Leeds have recruited really well this season. They obviously couldn't get Ben White back to play at centre-back, which is a huge loss to them because he was the the best central defender for me below the Premier League in, in English football last season. It's his ability to to read the game and to always seem to be in the right position, to to negate the opposition attacks, but then his ability to use the ball mm, well and yeah. progress the ball was really important for Leeds. And they've done well to go out and get Robin Koch instead from Freiburg, who, who is a player with a very similar profile, if perhaps not quite the same ceiling, if you like, in terms of potential and, and ability, if you like, that Ben White has. I think it'll be really interesting to see how Rodrigo um now that he's back, obviously in the Premier League people might not remember, but get a loan spell of Bolton Wanderers years ago. Um, he's back in the Premier League now, and it'll be interesting to see how he fits into the system. Will he be that that goal scorer that they've lacked? Because Patrick Bamford's his his XG, his expected goals is extremely high, but his actual goal output is low because at times his finishing just isn't quite there. Will Rodrigo give you that or will he play more from a wide position? Mm. There's a lot of questions at the moment. So I think that it's going to be something that a lot of people are watching for over the first few weeks of the Premier League season to see just how Leeds settle down and what they look like when they settle down.
2: Mm, absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned uh, the the Bamford thing because on Twitter, literally this morning, I have a diehard Leeds fan as, as a mate and he sent a picture which was Patrick Bamford had missed 35 of 44 big chances last season <laughs> Yeah, but ended yeah. with 16 league goals, I think. Which yep. I was really scratching my head at. It's <laughs> literally the first tweet I read this morning, and it was a bit like a bit of a head scratcher. So yeah, no, it, it would definitely be interesting to see how uh, Rodriguez settles in.
1: No, definitely. I think that I mean, you talk about Bamford, and the, there's this this thing could doing the rounds on social media called Bamford Island, where some people are <laughs> supporting Bamford no matter what because Bamford is going to come good at the Premier League level, and the fact that he has. Miss so many big chances that that directly correlates to his xg being high um, and his goal output being low and, and the variance of that is when you start to if you're evaluating players you look for these variances next xG. if a player's xg is low but his goal output's high you have to look closely at his shots in terms of valuations to see whether he is just a very very good finisher or whether he's getting lucky if a player's xg is high but goal both low you do the same thing. Is he getting unlucky through deflections, through shots that hit the woodwork, through good saves from the goalkeeper? Or is his finishing just poor? I think that Bamford, unfortunately, comes in the latter category, but his finishing just seems loose at times. I mean, there's no doubt that there's a very talented player there. and He's someone who Marcelo Bielsa trusts. Obviously, he had Eddie Getty alone last season. Eddie Nketiah is, as we talked about with Brewster earlier on, a natural-born, pure goal scorer. He will score goals at any level, anywhere in the game because that's what he does. Perhaps his link-up play and his ability to rotate and his ability to aid the progression of the ball through the thirds isn't quite as strong. And that's why Bamford was selected ahead of Nketiah, despite Nketiah being a player who would not have missed those clear-cut chances. So it's all about how coaches, I think, see different players and see different positions within their team. I think that's something that's always interesting to look for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's all today from us. Um, Lee, thank you very much for coming on today and good luck with your fantasy team for the, the rest of the season. I'm sure you'll do better than me. Oh,
1: believe me, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I never do well.
0: Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, see you guys. See you guys next time.